Hey, Dawson. Welcome back. Good to be back. Hey, um, so in a few weeks, there's a movie coming out, and we definitely want to discuss it on the show. Yes, Robin Hood. Can't wait. <laughs> oh, man. Taron Egerton, tearing it up, pun intended. Is that how you say Egerton, not Edgerton, like Joel Edgerton? No, it's spelled differently. I think it's pronounced it's spelled, Okay, so tear, yeah, tearing up shop. I don't know if he'll quite match the grandeur of, you know, the classic... Um, Kevin Cosner. Exactly. Will Taron Egerton compare with Kevin? <laughs> or, or the animators at Walt Disney, a bit more um, in keeping with uh, our Yes. No, well, no one can beat that Robin Hood. Let's... It's the definitive raw. Anytime Disney animation does something, it's the definitive version. It's the definitive, pretty much. Uh, yeah, what, what a Robin Hood, what a story with so many iterations. I wasn't excited at all until I found out that Lars Anderson trained the actors in archery. Oh, I, cool. Do you remember that viral video from yeah. back in the day? Yeah. Okay. Lar, I mean, he totally awoke the world to a style of archery that we just had no idea existed. And... That yeah. makes complete sense to me. I mean, I mean, a lot of people are like, that wasn't, that's not historical archery. That's fraudulent. It's like, what's fraudulent about it? Like, he's doing it. You can do it. I mean, it is trick archery. I don't think it's necessarily. It's trick archery, that. but it'll kill yeah. you. And it's accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see that in, to see that used in, in the Robin Hood film. That's going to be a lot yeah. of fun. Well, Hopefully. we aren't here today to talk about. To talk about any, Robin Hood. Any iteration of Robin Hood. Um, we'll definitely cover that on a later episode but we're going to uh, talk about a different fairy tale today <laughs> well yeah it's a modern fairy tale for a more technologically advanced time so yeah the you know obviously showing our hand in terms of cultural relevance to the uh, upcoming film uh, what's it called ralph breaks the internet Yes, which we'll be covering on the show. Uh, but first off, we want to talk about its predecessor, the little bit more slickly named Wreck-It Ralph. And, I, and I'm glad they I, they at least clarified what they were doing in the, in the trailer. I mean, it's, ob well, it was obvious. It's Ralph breaks the, you know, oh, that's a thing people say on Reddit and on the <laughs> There'll be probably many occurrences of the phrase, that's a thing. Oh gosh, can you, oh, just the internet speak that is going to be in the, and it could either be brilliant for it or it could be so obnoxious. Like what if they go to Reddit? And, well, well, based on the track record of Walt Disney and of course the film Wreck-It Ralph, uh, I'm leaning more towards it, it will be salient and, and relevant. I don't think track records are anything to be trusted, but uh, I do have full confidence it's going to be a perfectly fine, good, good movie. And yes, Wreck-It Ralph well, is brilliant. It's it's going to be really hard to 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 top that. I don't know what they're what they're going to do, but I mean the the characters are so great. Mm -hmm. So Wreck-It Ralph, um, a modern fairy tale. Ralph breaks the internet, of course coming out in a few weeks, is directed by Rich Moore, uh, who directed Wreck-It Ralph, as well as co-directed uh, Zootopia. Phil Johnston and Jennifer Lee were co-writers on Wreck-It Ralph. Of course, Phil Johnston returning to uh, co-write Ralph Breaks the Internet. So you're looking at a lot of the same personnel. Same brains. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, yeah, these two films will be of similar caliber in terms of quality. 
But uh, of course, you and I, yeah, we both love Wreck-It Ralph. Both recently uh, rewatched it uh, for the show just to talk about it. So yes. thank you for joining us today as we uh, talk about Wreck-It Ralph on the Thodcast. So, um, Doss, what do you think of when you first hear Wreck-It Ralph? Uh, Narnia. All right. There, and I have a very, I have a very specific and, and bizarre reason. This is, that's a recent thing though, that I, I just, a, a recent comparison I just made and a, and a very particular exact, not like overall there, there's an element, but what, what Wreck-It Ralph, cause it has been, I only saw it once in theaters and I, and I knew all these years later that I really liked the film, but I couldn't remember much about it. But one of the things I definitely did remember is how surprised I was by, by my by very real emotional reaction to it like there were part there were parts that i remember jerked tears and i and i can't couldn't remember why but then i rewatched the movie and i was like oh gosh yeah that's why that oh man and it, and it happened again and i i like a man i i didn't well, want good. to cry at this dumb animated film but that the same reactions were there and i and so it's really fun to to, to figure out why and how that happened and what the movie does so well. But anyway. Well, good. That, uh, this is good. I'm hoping to expand more on this sort of unexpected thread comparing uh, Wreck-It Ralph to Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, what um, exactly? So the, the Narnia comparison comes in in this way where I was, I was trying to come up with like explain a film plot badly for Wreck-It Ralph because, I mean, this, an evil spirit from a destroyed world arrives in a new world usurps the throne imprisons the the rightful ruler uh and then rules in his stead and i was like oh my gosh that's jadis from the chron that's the white witch who uh is a it come leaves her the world of charn is destroyed okay. and it gone but she is reawakened and she travels from that world to the land of Narnia and has to wait in hiding for a little while, but eventually takes over the kingdom, uh, which is rightfully, I mean, Aslan created it, but he left it to be ruled by humans and humans did rule it for a while, but then the White Witch took over and then the rightful humans had to, had to enter the, the kingdom to defeat the White Witch and reassert human dominance over Narnia. And obviously, uh, so just the fact that a guy from another world entered another world, imprisoned its rightful ruler, wiped the, the citizens' minds, and then the abuse that that rightful ruler, that princess suffers is so abominable. Uh, and then so he's this, this usurper, this false king. And it's such, oh, it's such good archetypal fairy tale storytelling in a world of arcade games. That's why this movie is so friggin' brilliant. Well, that is an excellent hot take. I was hoping we'd have some original insight brought to this discussion because I could probably just said everything that everyone's already said, but whatever. No, I, I, I mean, I'm sure someone out there has sort of made that comparison, uh, you know, between fairy tales of yore and this very modern take on it. You, you, you do see a lot of the same storytelling elements carried through, you know, classic times as well as modern. And it doesn't. And it doesn't matter if an idea is unique. It's the specificity with how you tell it. Uh, it's the specific the specificity in how you tell the story, which is why, like I'll you know I'll say again and over and over, why Wreck-It Ralph is so brilliant. You have this usurper king, 
but it's King Candy and he came from another game and no one knew that and all these little details. And then that he turns into nightmare fuel at the end, uh, like that whole thing. Um, and the characters wants that are really specific and clear their goals are and how those are met and then overturned and how the characters gain new perspective on the world and life and, and just everything. Like every, nothing is wasted in that film. Like every moment of each character's journey it's so specific and so good and um man yeah it would anyway i've talked a lot about it like what well what, i agree what is um it, it is in my mind a perfect film or a near perfect film um it is a near perfect story at least mm-hmm. like yeah at least i mean mm-hmm. um it takes a lot of you know you're getting into sort of the classic literary analysis of it um whereas you know, I, I was maybe going to suggest a, a bit more superficial um, comparison to things like Toy Story or Tron. You have this computer world um, composed of various um, characters kind of strewn together from a variety of, uh, you know, various origins. Sort of like how in Toy Story, you've got your cast of characters composed of various uh, children's toys. It's a world where it's anthropomorphic uh, video game. Video game, right? And none of the and like, there's no way any of that logic makes sense, and it just doesn't matter. And that is the sign of a great story. Like, you know, (laughs) it it develops its own specific internal logic. Yeah, right. Like Toy Story does. It's definitely a lot more IP driven than Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story definitely does have licensed characters and and brands from franchises or uh, companies other than Disney. Um, but you see that a lot more with Wreck It Ralph, where there, there's some very recognizable uh, video game characters. Yeah. Franchises. And I- I would have assumed that if they hadn't done that, that it would have been a little more annoying or less convincing. But now that you mentioned the toy, like it doesn't bother me at all that Toy Story, like all these toys are unique or or uh, at least unique versions of things. I mean, anyone can have a dinosaur, but Rex is very specific and piggy banks, obviously everyone has them. But because it's the, I, I mean, I love the IP that they were able to get Bowser and Street Fighter and, mm-hmm. you know, all these other characters. That really just, it, it brings it, so much closer to reality and it's like oh what if these things that we know and love did actually act this way that's so much fun yeah i mean uh toy story actually does have more main characters who are based on a pre-existing product uh, such as mr potato head and rex was also oh, pre-existing right. as well i i always thought mr potato head was a toy story thing but it wasn't oh gosh that's yeah. those are main characters of course in toy story but none of the main characters in wreck it ralph are licensed characters you know you, you get some significant cameos from characters like Qbert and uh, sonic the hedgehog um, and then yeah in the opening scene it's the Villains Anonymous meeting, obviously a riff on Alcoholics Anonymous. What a wonderful moment when Ralph is like talking about how he maybe wants to be good or like being bad or whatever. And then he literally looks over and says, thanks, Satan. <laughs> like, like literally the baddest bad. Like, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what I think Satan says something. And then Ralph to, to like reassure Ralph, some Satan says something to reassure Ralph about being a bad guy, and then Ralph says, 
thanks Satan. <laughs> you're like oh man <laughs> yeah uh, not, and not is much that, is that from uh, something is satan from a game like um yeah he's Underworld from something uh the character says it's pronounced satine, satine. yeah um yeah that that is from something um there's also bowser uh, yeah zangief m bison robotnik yes! kino uh yes! from <laughs> yeah kino from uh mortal Kombat. although he isn't credited as such um smoke from mortal Kombat. i believe he, he's a ninja character um and then clyde from he's the orange ghost from pac-man so so dawson you were saying there's a, a lot of emotional weight to this seemingly yes. silly animated film about a bunch of video game characters. We, we listed a bunch of the, um, the pre-existing characters that definitely add a lot of cultural relevance to the movie, but the film follows characters who are uh, created for the film who exist within three games primarily that the film invents uh, and, and provide the setting. Um, the first of which is Fix-It Felix Jr. According to the world of film, Fix-It Felix Jr. is a video game from 1982. So at the start of the film, uh, which was released in 2012, uh, Wreck-It Ralph is, he's actually going to his first Villains Anonymous meeting hosted by Clyde from Pac-Man. Right. um, Because it's the 30th anniversary of his game and he's kind of reached uh, a breaking point. He's going through his own little crisis. Uh, of course, they they warn him that if he kind of goes down this road, that he might go turbo, which he might go turbo, yeah. oh, what <laughs> which a would great mean setup yeah. for the <laughs> most amazing payoff. Oh, because you have no idea what that word means, but you just accept it. You're like, oh, go turbo, okay. Yeah, it, well, it would result in the destruction of his game, and yeah, what it does mean is there there was a video game called Turbo created for the film uh, in, in which the main character would basically invade other games. What do you think about this sort of ability for characters to jump games? Well, I, I really like how they, um, like the internal logic of the film, how it's like characters can, there's, there's a hub, of course, there's a Traverse Town where everyone can hang out and mill about and they can go into each other's games, they can visit for any duration of time, but of course, if they're not in their game, then that game doesn't run properly, so they can't just live there necessarily or in another location. Uh, but that if they die in a different game, then they die permanently. I, I think that's a really cool, really fun rule. So then if you're going to spend a lot of time in another game, you know that you can go to another world, you can interfere, but that can potentially have very deadly consequences. Um, and so I loved... And, I, and the movie doesn't tell you like if how how common this is or how often people do it and you're not necessarily you know you don't you're worried that ralph might do that and have consequences but then when you find out where the word turbo came from and how malicious that the person the character who jumped from his game to another game it's it's eerie like mm-hmm. in in this really because it's silly because it's it's arcade games but mm-hmm. there there's so you met, you already mentioned the character Turbo, but when it shows that flashback of the kids playing the game, they're playing this modern racer, and the kid says, these are the best graphics I've ever seen, then this old Turbo character starts sliding across the screen. 
it's like really scary. Mm-hmm. Something just really heebie-jeebie about it, like almost like a like a haunting or something. Yeah, uh, you you could imagine, you know, there being accounts of something like that happening at an actual arcade. You know, care, you know, someone reminiscing about how they could swear they saw a character from a different game pop up in another game. You know, there probably yeah. do exist actual stories about that type of thing. The toys are alive. The characters are alive. <laughs> within, you know, the whole um, zeitgeist of paranormal creepypasta somewhere, maybe something like that. Um, um, but yeah, the, the arcade is called Litwax Family Fun Center and Arcade. Basically, uh, Dave and Buster's but you know owned by a guy named mr litwack yeah he's always jokes about his nana oh i guess it's getting old like my nana huh maybe it's just time to put him out to pasture like my nana (laughs) like whoa uh so good that uh this this movie doesn't pull its punches and that's why that's why it what really sets it apart and above so many children's animated movies and i was reading about the development especially of its antagonist because it has such a good antagonist and originally it was this like officer character who uh tried to wrangle up uh like little girls like like vanellope and then they said well that wasn't working and then i didn't get there isn't much more detail that i saw on who that character was and why it wasn't working Uh, but then king candy was just he was goofy and sure he like overthrew the throne but he reformed at the end, which of course, every villain, you just don't, you, there's a lot of cushy, there aren't really high stakes or they're not really cushy or, you know, bad guys, you know, they do something bad, but maybe they learn the error of their ways. Um, King Candy is a malevolent monster mm-hmm. uh, driven by arrogance and greed and vain glory. And he hides it all under this mask of, this clowny, goofy, fun-loving, has some candy citizens. And oh, that makes it so much scarier. And the fact that he tried to murder an, the, the innocent little girl princess, but he couldn't do it and just left her handicapped um, and then locked. Oh, man, it's so bad. And then where I was going to say the emotional, uh, where I was got emotionally while watching the film that I just didn't expect was... Uh, the malevolence of the, of the of the other racers, the little girls, when they pick on when they pick on her, it's they don't they don't hold back and they like this is a we're gonna show kids picking on another kid, but you know it's we know you know it's not gonna like really hurt. It's awful. They rip her car apart and they are so mean and so your sense of like justice and incenseness. Uh, really, I, I mean, man, it was like watching, it's like watching bullies in real life. And that's what was yeah. so good about that part. And Definitely, then, yeah, brutal scene. I, I love the contrast between their actions and, of course, the just overall aesthetics of the world of um, Sugar Rush <laughs> just being so saccharine. And yet these characters are just so sadistic. Oh, yeah. Uh, but of course, yeah, you're dealing in a world of black and gray in terms of the supporting characters. And um, Ralph and Vanalpi must work together to save this dystopian candy coated kingdom and um, win over these, you know, characters who are, you know, really quite nasty. 
and and then overthrow, of course, the big bad who is King Candy, who's a very enjoyable and, and likable character. He's a hugely underrated character, I feel, in the entirety of Disney animated canon. Of Disney, oh, I would, I mean, I would say the same thing. I mean, the, the whole film probably is in general. I, I mean, even me, I saw it once in theaters, loved it to death, and then, oh, Wreck It Ralph, okay. Like, I, I kind of forgot, I forgot, basically, like yeah. how how good it was and, and how good he was. Cause yeah, you, I mean, you think just the like snotty little guys in the village that Ralph is trying to prove himself to, like you think that's as bad as it's gonna get. It's like this, a story about, you know, they're nice, like nice people being jerks to marginalized people. And you're like, okay, that's, I guess that's compelling enough. And then it gives you a full gamut of human behavior and human psychology within these characters and, and then not to mention the the bugs from the Heroes Duty game, how they factor in, and the Kowloon and Fix-It Felix character. And is there a funnier scene in Disney, in any Disney movie, than when the soldier says they gave her the most tragic backstory of all time? And yes. it shows her wedding day, and a bug crashes through the window and eats her husband before her eyes, and then she shoots it with a minigun. It's the best. I man. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad. I, yeah, gosh, you you gosh. identified <laughs> you identified the definitively funniest scene in the in the movie. I would say, like, oh. really no argument. And then and then that even even that had a, a wonderful a payoff, which of course was well. Why hold on? Why is she having her second wedding in the same church? <laughs> Maybe she should go to a, a nicer a nicer part of the arcade for this. Um, yeah, that was a but, good opportunity for some gags where like Vanellope is back in her formal attire and she's yeah, clearly, like the queen is overseeing the, the wedding and, and she's all this really having none of it. Like she hates being in the dress. Yeah, right. But that she's like, I love that she doesn't cast off the role entirely because they're like, yes. well, who's going to rule us? And she's like, well, I'm still the queen like, I, or I'm still the princess, you know, I'm. Um, I just don't need to wear the stuffy dress the whole time. Um, oh, and gosh, I, I love so much that, you know, little surprises that you just don't necessarily know an animated film for children is going to do. But when Vanellope actually says, you're all going to be executed, and they <laughs> grovel at her feet, and you're, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Calhoun at that moment <laughs> has a great line where she's like, yes. wow, things just started getting interesting around. Wow. Things, <laughs> which is like the audience is exact. I mean, that's exactly my thoughts is like, oh, this animated film, which has been interesting the entire ride just got interesting. And you're it's like, yeah, she she's not disturbed by it at all. She's just like, oh, this uh, sugar coated wasteland actually might have little uh, stakes after all. No kidding. I mean, and, the, and the, clearly the characters believe her and they know that they deserve it, which mm -hmm. is why you see them, you know, in their Nuremberg trial moment, you know, it's, uh, I mean, Cinderella, you know, obviously is lots of um, reg, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, it, it justice people. It, and we love to see that kind of justice. And so the, the greater the evil, the greater the justice that you see at the end, which is why I, I love that. And I think children's, Especially any anything aimed at children should the higher the stakes the better. My name's Wreck It Ralph. I'm gonna wreck it. Thirty years I've been doing this. Ah. It starts to feel hard to love your job. I can fix it. 
when no one else seems to like you for doing it. Sure must be nice being the good guy. Nice share, Ralph. As fellow bad guys, we've all felt what you're feeling. I'm Zangief, I'm bad guy. Hi, Zangief. Ralph, you are bad guy. But this does not mean you're bad guy. Zombie, bad guy. Hi, zombie. Hi, zombie. Zangief's saying labels not make you happy. Good, bad. You must love you. I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. I just went to a Dave and Buster's actually. And so they have Tomb Raider and Halo and like all these games. And then, and then yeah, it's really- and they're probably truncated versions of their actual like home consumer counterparts. Yeah, yeah, it is true. I mean, you, you, you watch Laura Croft talks to you. Like it's easy to imagine that little robot with the player screen, you know, the character that the character interacts with you. And then you're just a little crosshair. Or there's five of you, you know, somehow you're with Laura Croft on her journey, just these five invisible whatever's shooting. And it's on rail. Yeah, arcade games, I mean, they're not that fun, in my opinion. I'm I'm, I'm going to get a lot of hate for that because I'm sure there's a huge crowd for arcades. But I mean, I'd much rather play one of the older arcade type games than a new fancy schmancy hackneyed attempt at like being cool because it's just, it's it doesn't it doesn't really work in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense that there would be a game from 1982 still hanging around at a modern arcade because you know those games were uh, conceived and designed as arcade games from the start. And if you did have a home console version of a game, it was a lesser version, usually, of the arcade cabinet. Right. That's a very good point. And it's easy to see where something like a racing game would continue to evolve because the something that ha- that started with rudimentary graphics but was clearly meant to convey you know high speed and high realism or whatever but a game like wreck it ralph was never meant to be anything beyond what it already was and that's kind of what made it yeah. kept it timeless something like tetris you know yeah well or uh, Don- the, or game, Kong and- the game that wreck it ralph appears in is is called uh fix it fix it junior yeah, in this movie but that got me thinking like um, Fix It Felix Jr. is a take on uh, Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. The original Donkey, Donkey Kong, yeah. which actually features the first appearance of uh, Mario, or the character who would become Mario, yeah, developed by Nintendo for arcade cabinets in 1981. Um, yeah, the original Donkey Kong was, so, was a lot like uh, Fix It Felix Jr. is in this movie, where like you have your player character um you know mario or in in the movie fix it felix um you know having to ascend a series of platforms and trying to you know overcome various obstacles Uh, yeah wreck it ralph is uh, an analog of donkey kong donkey kong um and of course the naming convention might seem a little odd you know why is it called fix it felix jr rather than just fix it felix well there is actually a game called Donkey Kong Jr. that came out a year after the original Donkey Kong where you play as uh, Donkey Kong Jr. trying to rescue Donkey Kong from Mario or Jumpman. (laughs) Or the Jumpman. That's awesome. It's the only time Mario is a villain. Is Donkey Kong Jr. Donkey Kong's son who would eventually become Diddy Kong? That is really confusing. (laughs) There's a whole... 
the lore of Confusing. Donkey Kong. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, no. these Nintendo games weren't meant to have a rigorous... No, a, a through line yeah. or a, mm-hmm. a, a structure. No, none. Of course not. But uh, if, if you want to get technical, uh, the original Donkey Kong is supposedly um, more modern era's Cranky Kong. Um, and um, the modern era's Donkey Kong debuting in the video game for Super Nintendo, Donkey Kong Country. Um, That's such he, a fun game. That's like one of the only classic uh, Super or Super Nintendo games ever played because we never had a Super Nintendo, but at a friend's house, we played Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, it was really innovative at the time. Um, and that Donkey Kong is supposedly uh, Cranky Kong's grandson so so we don't really know who donkey kong you know the modern donkey kong's father is um but presumably donkey kong jr who doesn't really appear kong. <laughs> <laughs> no I, yeah donkey kong jr doesn't really appear in, in in very many games following uh the original donkey kong jr but it makes me wonder if there's a fix it felix senior if yeah, if there's a whole franchise of games that we're not we don't know about, you know, there could be a spin-off game simply called Wreck It Ralph, where you play as Wreck It Ralph. Right. Or maybe what if Fix It Felix was the original Fix It Felix was you're supposed to demolish this building, but he keeps fixing it. And so you have to be really tactical about about how you break the building rather than how you fix it. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but it's possible. It seems like the new movie is taking a very different direction. Yeah, good luck with that. Maybe it's this like, how, all arcade games are being shut down. How do we survive? Well, we go to the internet where we live forever. That's probably the premise, honestly. Yeah, who knows? Litwicks, Litwicks is being shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there really isn't much uh, reference to the, you know, the original Fix-It Felix, other than that uh, Fix-It Felix Jr.'s hammer belonged to his father. Why do I fix everything I touch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely one of the main sources of comic relief in the film, voiced by Jack McBrayer, the the, uh, character of Fix-It Felix Jr. uh, (laughs) is hilarious. He's got such a good voice and expressions and well, the way he talks and things and like so pathetic and and funny and mm-hmm. and his a, relationship with Calhoun is is a winner. For sure. He's a genuine country bumpkin, much like yeah. Brer's character in Thirty Rock, um, probably his most famous character. That's who that is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Kenneth Kenneth Parcell in Thirty Rock, where yeah he's like interning for NBC studios and he's from like the South and just very simple and polite and full of very naive charm. Felix, well, I'm so glad to see you. Wait, no, I'm not. What do you have to say for yourself? Oh, wait, I don't want to hear it. I'm not talking to you. Okay, don't talk, that's fine. But you have to fix this go-kart for me pronto. I don't have to do boo. Forgive my potty mouth. I'm just so, so cross with you. Do you have any idea what you put me through? I ran higgledy-piggledy all over creation looking for you. I almost drowned in chocolate milk mix. And then I met the most dynamite gal. Oh, she gives me the honey glow, something awful. But she rebuffed my affections. And then 
in jail. Felix, pull yourself together. No, Ralph, you don't know what it's like to be rejected and treated like a criminal. Yes, I do. That's every day of my life. It is? Which is why I ran off and tried to be a good guy, but I'm not. I'm just a bad guy, and I need your help. One great sort of irreverent moment was when uh, Ralph sneaks into Hero's Duty. Uh, he steals the armor from one of the characters and puts Zangief's underwear on the naked man that he stole the armor from. I caught yeah. that this time. That was a hilarious detail. Was his name Markowski or something? Yeah, Markowski. Uh, and uh, yeah, you see after he's been assaulted by Ralph and knocked out, yeah, he, he's left in this closet at Tapper's with, um, yeah, nothing but Zangief's underwear that we see in a previous scene where Ralph is rummaging through Lost and Found and... I mean, that simply proves that the commando Markowski truly was going commando. Hey. So some other references include um, children of the candy corn. Yes. Obviously, <laughs> a reference to the children of the corn. You hear Darth Vader breathing when Ralph is hiding under the, uh, the chocolate. That was one that stood out to me as a little as a little bit of a stretch because uh, it wasn't necessarily video game reference related, but and and didn't make quite as much. No, it, it was definitely just an obvious gag for the audience. Yeah, the names of the cops, which which are the, fairly the donuts, brutal yeah. police actually. Like there's there's definitely depictions of police they brutality. They beat him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that maybe is a follow through on that original concept for a villainous cop character. Um, but their names are Winchell and Duncan, which are the names of a famous donut. Never heard of Winchell, names. but yeah, Winchell's Donuts. It's very popular out here. And then Dunkin' Donuts, of course. There's some, like, I could, I could have just seen the Laffy Taffy's being there. Like, oh, look, Laffy Taffy's and, you know, okay. But no, it was like how they escaped the 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 nest quicksand which you know was like wow okay cool like what really creative ways within the world to move their characters along and solve problems that was one of my favorite moments yeah the laffy taffies are and she keeps beating him in the face (laughs) well and then like she finally puts an end to it by shooting her gun into the air which is kind of cool they actually have i love that moment (laughs) Uh, pistol because they're making um, the whole big love, big deal out of it, yeah. The vocalizing of the Laffy Taffy's was hilarious. It's like something you'd find in a really cheesy Tim Burton movie, but uh, worked really well for the scene. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they really had to sell the relationship between Fix and Felix and Tamora Calhoun. Yeah, two very dissonant characters. Yeah. And it worked. I, it, de- it develops. I, like, you see the development, and of course... The dynamite gal moment is kind of all the the different times that her first really attractive uh, fiance said called her dynamite gal. That's a fun yeah. montage. O- oddly specific phrase. One dynamite gal. I don't know. Have you ever heard anyone say that outside of this movie? Well, no, I started to say it after the movie, though. Um, I picked it up. I, and it's not like particularly clever or interesting or anything. I mean, maybe... The fact that it's uh, it's such a destructive word, which is more like what like Ralph would do, and and kind of goes with her, you know, 
pension for district. I don't know. There's nothing particularly interesting or clever about it, but it's totally, you know, the type of rubbish colloquialism that someone like Felix would say. Right. And then just happens to be what macho masculine man of all time, you know, calls her. Who's also probably a bit of a country rube <laughs> as well in, in his Maybe personality. A little, or a little Baywatch type, you know. Oh, and, and King Candy, of course, we should mention, is a deliberate take on the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland. Yes, yes. Uh, voiced by the actor Alan Ed Wynn. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, well, um, the Mad Hatter's voiced by Ed Wynn, the classic actor. And then, yeah, Alan Tudyk plays King Candy. Who was apparently shocked by the development of his character as he was as he read the script. Um, and as I was as an as a as a viewer. Speaking of references to other Disney animated films, the destruction of the car is kind of reminiscent of the scene from Little Mermaid, in which um King Triton destroys Ariel's collection. That was another scene that got me emotionally uh, because Ralph is, thinks he's doing what's best for this person that, I, well, you see them develop and form such a strong bond and they're like best friends by the time yeah. that that act of t destruction occurs. It, oh, anytime anyone destroys something of immense value to someone they love is just heartrending. Yeah, I, I referred to that a plot device in my notes as well-intentioned cruelty. Right. I, I must be cruel to be kind. Yeah. And, and you see this in a variety of films. I don't know if you can think of any other examples, but yeah, King Triton's definitely oh. one. Yeah. This isn't this isn't the same, but when the the stepsisters uh rip up Cinderella's dress that she's made for herself, uh, because they're not well intentioned, they're obviously yeah. very cruelly intentioned, but it's that it's that same thing. Someone put a lot of time and an effort into something that was gonna get them farther ahead in life and then it all is destroyed and it's made so much worse when it's something that you built together with someone that you had really oh shrek oh my gosh um when shrek uh starts ripping when when shrek sends donkey away well first he sends the princess away because he he overhears something and forms a completely misunderstood and gets a completely misunderstood perception of reality and then goes and gets Farquaad and sends the princess away and sends Donkey away and it's just tragic but then they all get back together in the end as they do in, in Wreck-It Ralph which using Felix to repair the car and, and it's like obvious but I don't know it just oh how cool how nice how cool anyway so Vanellope is technically a princess or a Disney princess but she, she was never uh, inducted, and we haven't even talked that much about Vanellope. Uh, of course, played by Sarah Silverman, um, Ralph, played by John C. Riley. But yeah, she, um, you know, is, is definitely a very caricatured style of character compared to other Disney princesses. So she hasn't necessarily come into the, you know, the main. Yeah, she's not. She doesn't have the the typical image of a of a Disney princess, but she's got such a, a strong and, and multi-dimensional character does she have a multi-dimensional character well you see her go through so much as a character and she's been through a lot and she's you know, crass and funny and i mean she's she's mean to ralph like and when they first meet and 
um, you know, selfish and everything. But then you, when you find out why, like that was the thing, like she was just being mean and obnoxious and stole the medal. And then you find out what she wanted it for and what she hoped to gain by it. And yeah. Ralph then relates to her and that they're, mm -hmm. you know, these misfits and she's obviously, you know, she's got Tourette's and that's a hard thing to, to live with. Um, oh, man. Well, and, uh, and her voice is kind of grating too, like the Sarah, Sarah Silverman voice that she does for Vanellope can maybe wear on you a little bit. It's just so shrill. Uh, yeah. but, but they address that in the movie where <laughs> she's like, why are your hands so freakishly big? And he's like, why, why are you so freakishly annoying? Mm -hmm. I think he says, yeah. And I mean, she's supposed to be a kid too, so it makes sense. Her voice would be very high pitched. Yeah, it does. It does. It is off putting at first. You're like, oh, this is kind of a trashy character. Um, and then I, it may, and I don't know if this happened intentionally. It, it got cuter as it went on. I mean, as I, as I warmed up to the character and started empathizing with the character more, I, I pitied her more and, and felt more, uh, felt more for her. And then the voice, I don't know. I didn't see it. I, it stopped sounding annoying so much as sympathetic. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially when she like screams when he breaks the car. It's like, oh my gosh, that's uh, like. Do they establish by the way as a glitch? She's a glitch. Um, do they establish that if a glitch dies in their own game, do they die permanently? Because when she's about to get attacked by the bugs on the bridge, they're like really worried about her. Anyone within the game, if if the power gets cut to the game, you know, will die essentially. Like they they are erased. And since glitches can't leave their games, she would definitely be erased. But then if it's reconnected, I don't know if everything resets. I'm guessing it would reset to factory settings. Factory, yeah. Okay, the characters who were able to escape the deactivation, maybe upon re-entering the uh, the game, would reassume, it, like yeah, they would assimilate, absolved into the yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. like they'd take on those in avatars, re kind of be reincarnated. Yeah. There's definitely a few uh, logical aspects of the film that um, require a bit of. Um, gymnastics in order to reconcile yeah and that's that's it's fine like, and that's fine yeah it <laughs> works and i feel like you can definitely um work out solutions for a lot of these things i was hoping for more tron references but um there were almost none weren't there yeah apparently you can see a tron arcade cabinet in grand central station i mean yeah it was like a prime opportunity to use their tron license i mean disney owns yeah. tron like why wasn't tron everywhere in that game like because was it too obvious or in the movie sorry so so dawson if you had to pick a game from wreck it ralph um out, out of the three original games conceived for the film uh fix it felix jr sugar rush or hero's duty which one would be your first pick to play oh to play um Probably Heroes Duty. Uh, I'd be attracted by the good graphics and the the shooter aspect and the sci-fi and the dark tone. Mm -hmm. But then I'd play it for a little bit and I'd get bored. And um, and I man, I'm not a big racer. I don't really care for racing games that much. I thought you were gonna ask which one would I rather live in, and that's like a hands down obvious candy crush. I mean, <laughs> what rush. a what a <laughs> sugar rush. Gosh, mm -hmm. it's Candy Land, Candy Crush, Sugar Rush. What a what a joy! And that's another aspect of the animation. You talk about principles of animation. Um, 
appeal boy oh boy sugar i mean there was goo and goop and chocolate and frosting and so many amazing things utilized in so many creative ways all over the place that's a really appealing place um uh what about uh so which one would i play first yeah probably hero's duty and then i'd be disappointed but what would what about you for me i think my preference would be sugar rush i i'm definitely attracted to the aesthetics of a game like hero's duty where it does involve guns it is a shooter but it's kind of a silly arcade kind of on rail style shooter um whereas sugar rush actually you know seems like a fully fledged racing game in the style of mario kart Mm -hmm. um of course uh fix it felix jr you you are able to play a version of that online if you uh, look it up um, oh, fun. Actually, yeah, they, okay. they developed the game. And it's very simple, like a lot of those early arcade games. A question I had about Sugar Rush is she says there's a mini game where you customize your own car. Is that something the player gets to do? Well, or? yeah, apparently in Sugar Rush, you know, there's a variety of things you can do in the game. It's interesting how there are like rejected concepts within that world. Which is like a real thing in video games. Like you can find unfinished, undeveloped areas or in the code. There's like, you know, code for things that never see the light of day, whether it's dialogue or, you know, items or. Yeah, I don't know if there are multiple tracks or not. Um, It's possible that there are multiple tracks that are all then connected in one main circuit um, that you see kind of at the end of the film, the finale where they are racing through like a variety of environments, um, mountains and ice. And the, the, there's one character candlehead who's able to light uh, like cherry bombs along the side of the track. Um, and presumably, like, she's the only character who would be able to have that ability. So it's like... They probably all have unique abilities, yeah. Yeah. Um, with Vanellope, of course, she's able to glitch. And I don't know if there's any others really specifically. I mean, it it's like Mario Kart where there are uh, power-ups and weapons that you can pick up along the track as well. So it's possible there are certain of those that are specific to each racer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Heroes Duty uh, is kind of a cheap Call of Duty Halo ripoff, uh, and and of course lots of cues taken in that game from the film Starship Troopers, obviously based on yes. the book. But uh, <laughs> and Starship Troopers actually was uh, co-produced by Disney or the Disney subsidiary Touchstone, so they definitely they had the rights to like the iconography of that film. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our discussion on Wreck-It Ralph. And you know, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it was kind of all over the place, um, but we're just kind of just starting out with this. So uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to organize our thoughts a little <laughs> better in the future. Um, but um, I, I, I had a lot of fun talking about Wreck-It Ralph with you, Dawson. Thanks so much for joining. And thanks for your amazing input. Yeah, love to talk about the movies. <laughs> you oh. sound like uh, a, a bounty hunter right now with whose voice. A bounty. Ah, sorry. I'll get that figured <laughs> out by next time. Cad Bane. <laughs> yeah, um, Cad Bane. Exactly. Uh, That's exactly uh, from the Clone Wars. Well, yeah, that animation we'll have to talk about at some point, too. So. We'll, we'll definitely talk about Clone Wars in the future. Um, oh, you know, basically. You know, anything is on the table for this show. 
um, TV series or films, um, not not uh, live action Robin Hood. <laughs> but um, yeah, look forward to chatting with you about Ralph Breaks the Internet when that comes out. Um, there's a few other things coming out. <gasps> oh, uh, the gosh. Grinch, uh, the Grinch. Are you going to go see that? Yes, I'm going to go see that. I've uh, got to go see it because mm-hmm. my little sister's in it. Oh, you have the <laughs> cutest little Instagram interaction. I, that was, I, wow, I was so okay. proud. That's well, yeah, I mean, you're um, personal friends with the actress who plays Cindy Lou, who. Yeah, and I can't, yeah. I mean, I can't, I don't have the heart to tell her how little I care that there's a new Grinch movie. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> okay, Cad Bane, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, I, apologies to the listener. Um, we're we're going to sign off here. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you, Dawson. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next time on the Thodcast. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.